So I want to take you back um, about 35 years ago when um, we were in Southern California, and I read a book from a pastor in Southern Cal that um, rang a very big bell in my soul. Uh, I admit to you that the title alone grabbed my attention. The, the pastor's name is Ben Patterson. Uh, he was the pastor of Irvine Press in those days, Presbyterian Church. Um, we were in Fullerton, so maybe an hour away, but um, it was one of the many churches that we visited in my internship year at Fullerton. And uh, it was cool just to sit with cool people and pastors that are in the game and learn from them, take notes on their life. Ben Patterson, uh, the book title was simply Waiting. Good title. I've loaned it to people, uh, and I'm willing to do that, uh, but I will check this one out so I know how to get a hold of you if you forget to bring it back and keep me waiting. But anyway, um, that's his book's waiting, and I was already in intrigued when I saw the book um, about the word waiting because um, it's a it's a challenge that the one talking right now lives with. It's not something my DNA does not naturally wait. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm married to someone that's a lot better at that than me, but I want to say she was just born that way, but she's had to work at waiting like all of us. I mean, it's waiting is challenging work. So I was already in, intrigued by that word, waiting, that I frankly, confessionally, I resist. I think, why, what's the deal? And then uh, in the, literally the opening page, this insight greeted me with, I'll just say it, understanding. Quoting now, second only to suffering, writes Patterson. Waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spiritual out, spirituality most of us will ever encounter, end quote. Let me say it again, and you tell me in this quote, if you're like me and want more of certain things. Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter, end quote. I freely tell you I want what he described will come from waiting. I want the stuff of godliness. I want maturity. I want deep spirituality. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room wants the same in their life. If not, I'm okay. I'm not condemning you. I think you'll grow into that. I think that will become a longing for you. It certainly was for me. And I knew Ben's book um, would help me at that moment. First page, I told you. It was really true. That just jumped out at me. And it was like, this guy gets me. And I knew it would help me because he put a finger on something that goes deep for me. Ben work 
It's always been work, and at times, I'm just going to go a step further and say it feels almost like torture to me. Um, So I kept reading. And then a few pages later, in his introduction, I stared at a two-word question that I thought is kind of nervy for anybody to admit to. It's the two words, why wait? Why wait? I have a book like that that was written to the youth of America that essentially pointed, asked that question related to saving yourself for someone in May. Why wait? Um, you know, it, it, Josh McDowell was on to something, and a whole bunch of youth say it's not worth it. Who cares? No one's answered that question for me. Well, God answered that question, and if you're hearing me now, and you're wondering, and you're waiting, you call me. We'll talk about some of why God would ask you to wait until you present yourself, a body, soul, and spirit, to the spouse that God called you to be married to for the rest of your life. Okay? So that's just a sidebar, but it's worth telling you about. So um, up to that moment in his book, though, um, I, I had only met the author, as I mentioned, in one of our field trips, and we had lunch together, several of us from Fullerton. But... As I peeled the pages further, um, I could sense something happening. Ben Patterson, this pastor down in Irvine, was becoming my pastor. I felt like he got me. And, and then I came to these words that confirmed that and have been true. Said Pastor Ben. At least as important as what you are waiting for. Let me pause and let you think about your answer to that. At least as important as what you're waiting for is what God wants to do in you as you wait. That's big. And that takes a bunch of trust and it takes a faith that says, Man, I'm waiting, and I'm not sure why I have to wait. What did you say, Ben? At least as important as what I'm waiting for is what you want to do in me while I wait. Uh, In an instant, I started to see waiting again. It had been a four-letter word to me. Wait, why? And in time, my irritation over waiting was slowly beginning to be replaced. And it, and it came along as an intrigue, wondering to myself um, what God might be doing through times of waiting in me. It's a slow down the movie moment for most of us if we'll, if we'll let it happen. And say, wait, could that be true of you too? That at least as important as what you're waiting for can I be what will sound silly to some of you? You're waiting for a new car. Or you're waiting for a better job. I mean, let's make it practical. You're waiting for a mate. Or another mate. Or a better mate. No, I'm not going there. But anyway, you get my idea. I just said that to help you breathe a little bit here. 
But no, the truth is, you, you know, there's this the real stuff in life. I'm waiting. Do I really believe that? Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we open the pages of the Bible. It's all coming from the Bible. But how are you holding up in your war on waiting? Just, just write that down somewhere. The notes that I put together each week, they're really good for you this week. They were really good for me when I wrote them. So don't, don't miss them or leave them here and, you know, leave them for somebody else because they usually get recycled. But anyway, um, what, what, what are you, hold, you know, how are you holding up is a good question, and it's an important one. What are you waiting for? That's your answer. You get to this, you get to, maybe it's so private you're not writing it down. Okay, I'll bet our answers, though. This is kind of a pastor of 43 years telling you this, are all over the page. I'll bet they're for big, really big, and really little things. Super serious stuff. And silly things. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe you tried to buy that lottery ticket this week. 1.7 billion. That would have paid for most of my bills. I mean, I think, right? And and maybe you were that person that just didn't sleep till you heard the numbers and realized, are you kidding me? The numbers look at you and go, really, for for real? You thought, but somebody won't. Um, but maybe it's in the big columns of our lives, the spiritual things. I'm waiting for you to help me conquer this temptation. Or maybe it's in the, um, the, the physical things. I'm broken. I never got my speed back, uh, my strength back. Maybe that's on hold. Or maybe it's something you would expect me to say this, but um, spiritually where you, you say, God, I want to be more than I am. Please change me according to Romans 9. Conform me to the image of your son. God's at work, right? Amen? He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Could you make that hurry up, Lord? I've added with time along the way. Okay. Um, so more importantly, what is God teaching you as you wait? Remember, at least as important as what you're waiting for is what he wants to do in you. So uh, Kelly took us to Psalm 130. I want to take you back to Psalm, for this time stop at 27. We'll do Psalm 27 real quick. It's the biggest book in the Bible, so you can by accident almost find your way to Psalm 27. And they're just numbered like normal numbers. But this one's written by David, King David. And um, he was called, as you're turning there, a man after God's own, own heart. That's a big deal to me. Um, it means among a whole bunch of other things, they were close. David and God. He's a man after God's own heart. And um, doesn't mean he wasn't, he, that he was perfect. He fumbled more than a few times. Uh, but, he, but he, with God's help, got back on his feet and carried on. Um, so here are the tender words of a warrior king. I, I include that for this reason. 
He couldn't build the temple when he was near the end of his career. That would be in 970. He couldn't build the temple because he had too much blood on his hands. He was a warrior that dealt with enemies decisively. And so God said, listen, you're doing the work I've called you to do, and it's not a pretty work, but I'm going to have your son, your successor, Solomon, do the temple building. His nails haven't gotten dirty. Okay? So this is the David, the king that we read about. Um, And here are the tender words he uses to describe what I called that close relationship. Tight. They were tight. And there are not many that I want you to see in this psalm, but it's important for our topic today. The Lord is my light and my salvation, he begins. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall, not me. Though an army besiege me, notice how those three adds again, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will not fear. I will be, in his words, confident. That's fear in a blizzard stuff, folks. That's I can stand tall no matter how big the giant is that's facing me. Amen? These We got to get this. We got to get this. So, There's one more verse I'm going to have us read, and then we're going to Acts 24. So um, did you notice he referred to God very personally? He says, you are my light. You are my salvation. You are my stronghold. It's similar to Psalm 23, just two pages earlier. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not the shepherd, though that's true. He's not a shepherd, one among many. That's not true. He is my shepherd. And when you get to that place, everything changes. It becomes exceedingly personal. He's my shepherd. So David here is saying, King David, the Lord is my light, my salvation. He is my the stronghold of my life. I don't think he viewed God as merely also the giver of light and salvation, and strength. I don't think that. I think David's more intimate that with, with God than that. I think he's saying he is those things. Don't give me a scoop or two. Embrace me with those things as you embrace me with yourself. Is that cool? It's the next level. And then he describes a very practical result of thinking about God this way. Uh, Think of this as a payoff, okay? This is a practical payoff of knowing God like this. And he states it three times. We've read it already. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And my heart will not fear. Those very words. Folks, we're reading about a king who had lots of enemies, but who was fear-free. How do you get that kind of big word, confidence, at the end of verse 3? How do you get that? You guessed correctly if you said, by waiting on the Lord. Look how Psalm 27 ends. 
There's 14. There's only 14 verses, and I just flipped my page to it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage. That's the meat in the middle. And then he repeats, and wait for the Lord. Here's something you're going to talk about in your life groups or conversations afterwards. So uh, you need to know waiting comes from a Hebrew word meaning to twist or stretch. Hmm. Which clarifies, I think, what's involved in waiting. Uh, to be clear, waiting is not passive. It's not what's on TV, I keep waiting. No, this is not at all passive. This is active stuff. And it requires constant, here's the word, twisting and adjusting. You say, how? How so? It's to twist the ideas and perspectives I have to his. This is not far from Isaiah 55 that says, My ways are not your ways are not my ways, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. That's a God that says, I'm not going to change in the whim. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. And here's the deal. As you wait on me, think Gumby. I don't know why Gumby comes to mind, but remember the little Gumby? Remember you could twist Gumby? So if God's a railroad spike that can't be bent or twisted, and you're Gumby, the wait is for you to adjust you to him. And then things start to look different. They change. You say, okay, God, I'm, I'm really not going to be satisfied any other way except to wait on you. So it, in waiting's involved, and, um, and, and the second word was stretching. And let's just face it, to twist you in any way or to twist me in any way, is it, that kind of explains it will be stretching. So Hebrews, they get it. So now we're ready to flip over a millennium, actually, to Acts 24. Would you find your way there? And um, we are getting dangerously close to the end of Acts. Um, we find Paul under restriction that ended up limiting his freedom for five years. Five years. Due process, not going to happen. Quick trial, speedy trial, not here. That's not, that's, that's not our life. So um, perhaps you've heard the expression, the wheels of justice grind slowly, right? Then it goes on, but they grind exceedingly fine. That's true in some cases. It's ultimately true with God, but it's not always true on earth. But in most cases, we understand the implication of the first part. The wheels of justice grind slowly. Well, Paul's visit is, uh, let me just say, his weight is like that statement on steroids. Okay? Um, Paul would spend a handful of years presenting his case. The telling of that case will take us all the way to the end of Acts. In fact, here in Caesarea, where we left off last week, Paul would have to wait two of those years to 
for the judicial proceeding against him. Verse 24. So just last week, just to bring us up to speed, in our study of this wonderful experience, one step as a cure, uh, we remember that there was an attorney for the elders, Tertullus was his name. And um, he came from Jerusalem with the elders and he presented three charges to refresh your memory, verse 5 of chapter 24. We have found this man, they're pointing at Paul, to be a troublemaker, to stir up riots among the Jews all over the world, and he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. In other words, he's the main dude and even tried to desecrate the temple. And that's when we put the wrist bracelets on him. We arrested him. We seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. And everybody shouted, Amen. That's true. That's how we feel too. Verse 9. So, now we're set to read the cliff notes of Paul's rebuttal before Governor Felix. He's known as Felix now. When the governor motioned for him to speak, pointing to Paul, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I'm really glad to make my defense. You can easily verify with no more than, that it was no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers, I'm just doing hand motions because that's how it was. He's standing there saying, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. However, now if I'm standing in that court or sitting there listening to it, I'm like, oh. He's he's about to admit something, and he does. However, verse 14, I admit that I do worship the God of our ancestors as as a follower of the way I do this, which they call a sect. It was a degrading aspect. I believe everything that's in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Think Old Testament. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. That there, you see him drawing his accusers in, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. May I just say that's a great takeaway for some of us today. There is that day coming. And that should drive you to do the right thing today. And me as well. Verse 17, after an absence of several years, Paul still presenting himself, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor. Shame on you, Paul. (laughs) Seriously, if you're in court, you're going, that's not a bad guy. I came to present gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was actually clean, ceremonially clean, when they found me in the temple courts doing this very thing. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia. He's going back in time. You can pick up on the details of this if you took the time to go into Acts 23 and and further back. There are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and, and bring charges if they have anything against you. Or these who are here should state what crimes they found in me 
when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing, and I do take ownership. I called this out in chapter 23, verse 6, if you see. Uh, this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. Quote, it is it is this, this whole hearing is concerning the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial before you today. See the quotes in there? Verse 31. And then Felix <clears throat> clears his throat. Who was well acquainted with the way, he adjourned the proceedings and then said, When Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to come and take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife Priscilla, who was a Jewish woman. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, uh, that, that, that's, enough, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Probably trying to entice him to come. Verse 27 ends the chapter. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Okay. 24 months of lockdown serve to inform you and me and inspire us in our seasons of waiting. I'm going to let you reach for a pen right now because if there's ever something you need to write down, here it is. The principle that's being modeled here, that's being practiced by Paul, is bloom where you are planted. Two years is a lot of days, 730 of them, counted. It's a lot of time. Bloom where you are planted could easily be written across these words we've read from God's word this morning. Remember last week's words, God is the blessed controller of all things. I've, I've, I've loved those words since you know me. That includes spending two years, two years of waiting to resolve a dispute that had detained Paul from carrying out his calling. Or did it? Or did it? When the hearing was put on hold, I want to call your attention to something and then talk about it. Did you notice at that moment, did you notice how ticked off Paul got? Stirred up and schemed, blew a fuse, launched a tirade against Felix and all these people. Did you catch that? Do I need to read it again? Maybe we missed it. No. None of that's there. People, because none of that happened. 
I've looked for different nuances to the Greek, to the commentaries, everybody. And no one can present a case that says, yeah, well, these are clean, nice, tidy words, but Paul was steaming. He was about to blow a fuse like this guy. It's not there. Which means somehow Paul had a different view of all this. And he was, he was taking advantage of his God-controlled circumstances. Fun? As good as freedom? No. And no. But God was in control, and he, in this setting, chose something that he couldn't do outside those walls. He chose to share the gospel with the governor and his wife. Wow, well, I'm here. Um, so he didn't just share the gospel. I want you to see 24 and 25 again. Felix came with his wife. She was Jewish. He sent for Paul, listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix, and when, you, when I read that, you get a little hint of the tone in which he talked. Felix was afraid. It's like, oh. If there ever was a temptation for Paul, it would have been right here to, say, to soft pedal it and make it sound so incredibly uh, benign that he could almost promise the, the governor, You're, it's okay, governor, God loves you, and he's waiting to resurrect you to a righteous eternity with him. There's a serious reality here that he didn't hold back at all. And there's an urgency here. The coming judgment, he calls it. Uh, didn't soft pedal the gospel to become a feel-good faith at all. Don't do that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last thing Paul wrote, he told Timothy, don't do that. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. When people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Reprove, rebuke, ex exhort, and teach with great patience for the time will come when people will no longer endure, he calls it, sound doctrine, but they will gather teachers that will say what their itching ears want to hear to make people who are not on the right path feel okay about it. That's not loving. That's not the gospel. And that will be duplicitous in some people ending up not in heaven, but in hell. It's a terrible thought. Okay. So what about this gospel? Verse 25, he captures just three quick pieces. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Um, he starts by explaining God's righteous standard. And he made it clear that no one has attained that standard. Check these words out. Jesus said this a third of the way through his Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are to be perfect. Here, let me wrap it up. You're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard, what Paul is calling righteousness, about righteousness. So how close to perfect have you come? If that's the standard, I'm 
reasonably certain you haven't met the standard, neither have I. If you have, raise your hand. I'm, I'm, we're going to trade places real quick here. Right? So that's the standard. You're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and I'm not. So how close to perfect have you come? Uh, I think honest people are going to admit what's abundantly obvious. Not very close. Check out these words by the Apostle Paul, which come up later in Romans chapter 3. No one is righteous. He answers the question in case you're still trying to formulate an answer. No one is righteous, not even you. I'm making it personal. Not even me. No, not one. No one is good, not a single one. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. And all have fallen short of, you shall be perfect, God's righteous standard. That's the gospel. It's admitting hard stuff before you can feel good. It's saying this is true. This assessment that Paul gave to Felix is the same message that he shared everywhere he went all the way through Acts regardless of the consequences, and it's still in play today. And it was part of the daily discussions that we read about. Felix would would invite him back often. Um, I am certain that that persisted throughout their conversation. And then Paul makes it clear here and elsewhere with uh, four words that were too much. It was the, let's call it the tipping point for Felix. And he says, his answer, his response is, uh, that's enough for me. What were the words? What did he say? The judgment to come. The judgment to come. That puts a hush across any audience. That caused the church back in the great awakening under uh, a great teacher, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He did not hold back and said, here's the deal. God has a righteous standard. Not a person on this planet has ever met it. And you're in a heap of trouble unless you turn to him for the solution to your problem. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. Amen? It's so, so true. Paul made it clear here and elsewhere that God's judgment is upon all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Check out these words in Romans 6 as well. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That means falling short of God's righteous standard. It's not just, oops, you you get a lesser place in heaven. It's you don't get to heaven by falling short. Listen carefully. Paul made this point earlier in chapter 17. Will you look at verse 31? He points to a future where God will in fact set a day and has set that day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he's appointed. He's given him proof of this by raising, everybody knows this is going to come because he raised Jesus from the dead. Make that linkage. And then finally in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he clarifies that that day isn't just for Felix and his wife. 
I love statements like this because they are a way of saying, you know, you can read the Bible at a safe distance, and many people do. But God says, no, this, is, this brings it home. For we must all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm letting you go there right now in your imagination. So that each of us, if you're a parent, you can't answer this for your child. If you're a pastor, you can't answer this for your congregation. If you're a spouse, you can't answer this for your husband or your wife. All of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. This is told again in Daniel. This is told by Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12, Daniel 12, verse 2. This appears all over the Bible, including people go, well, Jesus changed everything. No, chapter 5 of John says Jesus, in fact, declared this to be true. It's, it's going to happen. This judgment will happen. So be aware of it, and none of us can say I didn't see it. So I want to wrap up by asking you a question. Um, Paul bloomed where he was planted. Just when we were tempted to conclude that these are really wasted years, five years, two of them here in Capernaum or, or Caesarea, bad, bad time. I'm not sure Paul would say that ever. Cer certainly don't read it in his words. Difficult to imagine that Paul felt like this was anything but a divine appointment by God. And he took care, he took advantage of it for that reason. There's no sense these are wasted years or that somehow Paul felt sidelined um, from fulfilling his mission of telling as many people as possible how they could have faith in Jesus. Come to faith in Jesus. He's he's a model. For all of us, when it comes to carrying out our calling, even if you're in custody, I can't think of a worse place to be than in custody. So, question. How does someone carry out, even while encumbered, how do you carry on a calling in such circumstances? There's a secret I want to tell you when we're done really cool secret of Paul's staying power really is you think what was it I mean we read the book the Bible we've read Acts all the way to this point what was his staying power and he says so with these memorable words he wrote later to it in a letter to the Corinthian people first Corinthians 15 verse 58 so be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So what's the key there? What's he saying? He chose his word well, knowing, knowing. 
be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing. That means having something settled in your mind, being clear about something. It's way better than wishing. It's way more than wondering. It's way past wanting. It is knowing. Being convinced that you are not wasting your time in the work of the Lord. Ah. Two years is a lot of days, especially when you're born. But in the words we started this message with, I think Paul knew him for sure at least as important as what you're waiting for. And his ultimate desire, make no mistake about it, my longing is to go to heaven, Paul said in Philippians 1. He understood that's a better place. But he couldn't get there until God called him home. So whatever it is that you're waiting for, at least as important in your life and Paul's life and my life is what God wants to do in us and can I add this morning and through us while we wait. I'd like to bow your heads and pray this morning. I want to appeal very personally, and this is, this is me getting in your business. It really is. If you're watching from some other place, it's getting in your business right now. People... Don't be like Felix. It's a terrible mistake you made. I've heard enough for now. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe do listen more another day, was his answer. Remember? Another day may never come. One day will be your last day. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I plead with you today to turn to him. The Bible makes very clear today is the day of salvation. Turn to him and trust him. Say, Jesus, I'm not fit for heaven. I have fallen short. I have swung and missed your righteous standard. And I'm in a heap of trouble. I need help. Come and forgive me of the sin that deserves death and judgment. You can pray that right now. Would you? Just pray it. God, come into my life. I need you. And I want to trust you. I'm not sure any, any of the implications. I just, I just don't want to face tomorrow and the risk of tomorrow without you. you're making that decision right now, you're praying those words, Lord, come into my life. The Bible says this to you, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He just asks you to confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Right as you are. If you're doing that today, live stream, please let us know. If you're in the house, Please let us know. We don't want you to just, it's not a one and done. This is the start of a journey for eternity.
Meanwhile, to help you and I know what to do while waiting, we're going to present right now a, uh, I call it a statement song. I think Paul could have sang this song that will help shape how to live while waiting. Stay in your seats and take this song with you. 